Hello guys, Dale Stewart here. Welcome to Nature's Edge. Have you ever had a decision to make only to find yourself asking the what if question? What if I don't have the skill? What if I fail? What if, what if, what if? Do you have those days when your mind resists all attempts to make any kind of a decision at all? You're kind of immobilized, you're unable to push through uh, uh, fear. Uh, do you find yourself overanalyzing situations, trying to understand that emotion that has been sabotaging your efforts to move forward or in any direction at all for that matter? Well, today my guest is going to help us walk through this, this thing we all know as our emotions. And Christine Ulmer is a former world champion extreme skier. She is a pioneer of the free skier style, jumping off cliffs, doing huge mid-air flips and descending mountains via near vertical slopes and gullies. She was also the first woman to ski down Wyoming's 13,700-plus-foot Grand Teton, and it stated that she has had at least 20 near-death experiences. For many years, she took extreme risks for a living, and this daredevil nature made her a poster girl of extreme skiing, appearing in the numerous ski movies and magazines. She has dealt with fear the kind she describes as vibrating in my body like a tuning fork by breathing in good energy and breathing out the fear. Today, Kristen is still involved in athletics, but in a more spiritual way. She is a mindset facilitator known for cultivating a new, fast, and effective way for clients in a matter of hours, literally, to see the world and their lives from a new set of eyes. Um, Kristen, welcome to Nature's Edge, my friend. Thank you, Dale. You know, I, Kristen, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've been known for uh, making some crazy decisions and uh, have had my, uh, my decision-making uh, 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 decisions questioned uh, quite a few times. Uh, particularly early on, I used to paddle over waterfalls, and people used to kind of shake their head when I did that. And I've been dropped off in, uh, in the middle of some of the most extreme environments on this planet for months at a time, but I never made the list of most likely to die. Which I believe you, which I believe you made. Uh, so as we, we, there's still time. I know. So as we start the show, I'm going to ask you a question. I was actually asked yesterday uh, uh, at a station that was interviewing me. Why are you the way you are, Kristen? Well, of course, things change. You know, the question should be, why was I the way that I was? Yeah, that's better. And uh, you know, I was at a uh, conference at. Warren Miller's house with a bunch of very wealthy people that were there to find out about fear. And, and there are a bunch of professional athletes there. I was only one of four. And we were asked to give a speech after dinner, you know, what makes somebody a great athlete? And fortunately, I got to go last. <laughs> and I got to listen to what the other guys said. And, and they, they just stammered. They didn't know what to say. They just were tongue-tied. And one guy said, oh, I don't know. I just couldn't stand losing, and um, and I finally got up there after these three guys just crashed and burned, and I said, well, you know, the reason why we're as great as we are is because of childhood insecurities. We found a way to kind of tap into our demons and our shadows and use them to motivate us, and I, and I said, is it true? And I looked at the other three guys, and they were shaking their heads so hard, I thought they were going to break their neck. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> You know, but over time, if you get to be in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s and you're still motivated by your childhood insecurities, something has gone horribly wrong. Yep. 
So, you know, the things that motivated me and drove me when I was younger to be a world-class athlete, I don't have those anymore. I've kind of extinguished those motivations. And so right now, um, my goal has become worse and worse at sports every year and be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. You know, I think, uh, uh, you know, you kind of turn your efforts to what I'm doing as well, and that's, uh, you know, teaching now and and training uh training other people and and uh mm-hmm. we'll we'll talk a little little more about that a uh, little later in the show about what you're doing but um let's let's talk about fear uh you know fear is a thing that uh, I get asked all the time you know and uh, about fear and, and of course I look at it as a good thing you know it it really keeps me from being stupid and uh uh, so uh, you know, I never, I never say to myself, I need to overcome fear, and and I'm I'm gonna guess that you sort of agree with that. Yeah, the people that have a healthy relationship with fear that don't have a problem with fear are like you or like me, where we're okay with it. We actually even like it. And in your intro, when you introduced me, you said um, breathe in good thoughts and breathe out fear. That's absolutely the wrong approach. Not quite sure where that's on the internet, but I didn't write that. But yeah. basically, what I would do as an exercise is breathe in fear, breathe out the hope of ever getting rid of it. Because it's the the folks who enjoy the fear, that do a dance with the fear, um, that have the best relationship with it. And, you know, I'll tell you a story. It's a classic story. You know, two men go to conquer a mountain or climb a mountain. And one guy is a young guy with Nikes on, and the other guy is an old guy, you know, with slippers on. And, of course, the young guy takes off like a, you know, drinks a couple cans of Red Bull, and off he goes, and charging up the mountain. And the old man starts up slow and steady. And halfway up the mountain, halfway through the day, the young guy stops on the side. The old man's still going. The young man was very perplexed, and he asked the old man, you know, how is it possible that you're going to beat me to the top of this mountain? And the old man says, well, you come to conquer the mountain. It is stronger than you. It will conquer you. I come to merge with the mountain, and like lovers in a dance, it lifts me up. And if you see fear as that mountain, you know, because fear is, a, is mountain-sized for us. Yes. You know, if you try to conquer it, it'll conquer you. It's stronger than you. It's been around for hundreds of millions of years, you know, developing in your amygdala, your lizard brain. There's no way that you're going to win that war. But if you merge with it, it'll lift you up. It'll actually become um, your greatest source of motivation and become, um, I guess, the greatest. I mean, you know, what's what's the reason why we do all this dangerous stuff to feel fear? I mean, it's the reward. Yes. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's sort of that adrenaline uh, uh, rush that. Uh, you know, like you early on, it was something I almost needed. Um, you know, I've I've been able to to get beyond that, but certainly there was a time uh, when I, I sort of needed to 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 be scared, if that makes any sense. Yeah, my motto is anything worth doing involves fear. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, be, you know, I was uh, considered fearless in the media, and I believed it. You know, I believed the hype back then, but I realize now, after reflecting on it, I wasn't fearless. I was just having a love affair with fear. That's it. I, Absolutely. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. It was my reward. I'm going to... Kristen, what happens to us when we get scared? 
Well, I don't know the scientific process of what happens when you get scared, but what happens, you know, people think that, oh, it's, it's, there's some sort of fight or flight um, mechanism that kicks in that's really old. I actually look at it like what happens when we get scared is that we have a reaction. Right. That we either fight the fear, we run away from the fear, we fidget around it. It's like all these F words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like fear is not the problem, we're the problem. So when fear shows up in our lives, we may faint, you know, like, oh, I can't do this, you know, or, or we may freeze, just hoping that fear will go away and, and won't notice us. Or we feel overwhelmed. Then, yeah. Go, go ahead. I'm just going to say, or we feel overwhelmed. Uh, with the situation. Yeah, we feel over... Yeah. It's so, again, that's a reaction. Um, it's like fear isn't making us to become overwhelmed or fight or flight. It's just our reaction the second it shows up. It's like a, this purple elephant in the room and we're like, oh, geez, you know, just don't move, just don't breathe. Or we fight it, we take out a sword. Yep, yep. But, of course, fear is going to take out a bigger sword, sword. Or we run away from it. And actually, we're... We're running away, like, let's say we're about to see some moguls, and, you know, all of a sudden fear shows up, and we're like, no way I'm going to see those moguls. What we're doing is we're running away from the situation. We're running away from the moguls, so that fear will leave us alone. You're listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, and we will be back after this short break. Welcome back. This is Dale, and you are listening to Nature's Edge. My guest today, Christine Ulmer, is not Christine. What am I saying? Kristen Ulmer is a. <laughs> You'll get it right. I know it is a. Is a uh, Christine works for me, so I don't know. What I'm saying that is a former world champion extreme skier, and and we're talking about fear and. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about overcoming fear or, or sort of some of the keys? I know we can't teach people how to do that in 10 minutes, but, but let's, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay, and just for the record, my name is Kristen, and you can remember it I know. because it ends with the, the number 10. I know that, <laughs> and I don't know why I'm saying Kristen, but go ahead. You're not the first person, trust right. me. So, you know, the fact in our society that the language that around fear is that we need to overcome it is actually the problem. Yes. Um, you know, overcome or get rid of or let go of or conquer. It's like all these words that suggest that what we need to do is get rid of the fear in order to do what we want to do rather than take it with us. And, uh, and it, let's, let's look at it this way. So a man is sitting on a park bench bird walks up to him and he looks down and he goes oh no no you're not the bird you're supposed to be and he looks up the bird and he takes out some scissors and he trims the tail feathers trims the wing feathers and clips off the front inch of the bird's beak and he puts the bird back down on the ground and he said there now you're the bird you're supposed to be it's kind of a ridiculous story isn't it it is but that's what we do it's like we have this motion show up where we you know we are who we are and then we want to change who we are and we think that that's the key to freedom or the key to great performance rather than just being who we are and and, um, same thing with fear it's like we see it as a flaw 
We don't like the way it makes us feel, that greasy feeling in our stomach. You know, but there's two questions I have for this audience and for you. Um, well, actually, no, there's two statements. You know, which one feels more true? That fear is completely unnatural. Like when fear shows up, there's something wrong with me. Um, I need to take steps to get rid of it so that I can do the things that I want to do. It's just, you know, nobody else feels this but me. Or the second statement, which is that fear is completely natural. We're destined to feel it. It's a crucial ingredient to life. It's going to be with us from start to finish. Which feels more true to you? Oh, it's natural to me. You know, I, I, I talk to it. Yeah. So we think that this is some sort of unnatural experience and that we really can't do the thing that we want to do until we overcome the fear. But that's not possible. You know, fear is going to be with us in scary situations. Correct. So once you make the shift to realize that, oh, you know, it's natural, it's supposed to be here, this is not a personal flaw, and we take it with us, um, all of a sudden it's not a hindrance anymore. It's actually an asset and an ally. And, uh, you know, it's, it's basically showing you that the experience you're about to have is a big enough challenge for you. You know, you know you're doing something magnificent if fear is there. Absolutely. Now, the, the thing is, though, if there's too much fear, it's either because you're repressing it, and kind of like a whining child, if you ignore it, you think, oh, well, you know, it goes away, that works, right? And then you repress it again, you repress it again. And, well, what happens if a whining child gets ignored and ignored and ignored? Eventually it becomes overbearing, overwhelming, and it's screaming at you. Right. So that's one, you know... If fear is really a problem in your life, it's usually because you're either repressing it or because you're biting off more than you can chew. And maybe you should just, you know, try a, a river that isn't so violent or, be a, you know, something that's just a little bit above your comfort zone, but not too much over your comfort zone. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, in my world, at least, it, and it's, which is... Certainly, uh, it it may not be normal out there, but, um, you know, I kind of like, I like that challenge. Uh, I like that, that feel that, that I get, uh, from the fear. And sometimes, as crazy as it sounds, it, it sometimes drives me to even look for that, that next big, big thing that, uh, that's, that's going to give me that same kind of a feeling that I get, uh, uh, with fear. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah. Imagine for a moment what the world would be like if there was no such thing as fear. You know, at first glance, you're like, ooh, wow, that would be great. But, um, you know, we would just uh, break all boundaries and, and all that. But it would, it, the world would be really, really boring. You know, what would skiing be like or kayaking be like without fear? It would be really boring. Nobody would buy any lift tickets. You know, the whole reason why we go skiing is to feel fear. Um, that's the thing that gives us the charge. Yeah, I think it's the same reason people like to ride roller coasters, you know, and uh, at amusement parks and things like that. It, it gives them that little charge. So fear is also a really good advisor. Yeah. You know, like how fast should I ski? Um, should I do this thing or should I not do this thing? Um, I'm afraid of getting hurt, so I better take steps to really pay attention. Which also, of course, fear puts us in a higher state of awareness as a result. It's like because fear is there, our sight senses are all tightened. Yes. We become like more sharp, more focused, and it takes you that that 
emotion takes you into the present moment, it's actually the thing that pushes us into the zone. Yeah. And, and, and go, go ahead. ahead. No, I'm just go ahead. So the zone is kind of language from 10 years ago, like what we wanted to do 10 years ago was be in the zone. But today we're talking about wanting to be in flow states. What are flow states? So picture a hose and uh, there's water flowing through it. But in this case, it's our emotions, it's our thoughts, it's our feelings, and they're all coming through the hose. But the second something comes through that hose and you wish it weren't so, then all of a sudden that hose gets kinked because you repress it and you get stuck in that belief that, oh, I need to get rid of this. And all of a sudden you're not in flow. And so people have this sense that flow is the absence of fear, but actually flow is the inclusion of fear and just kind of letting it run its course. Yeah, I like that. And science, yeah, and scientists have actually proven, you know, there's a whole physiological response to the cortisol. I, I, I don't know really how it works, but um, when fear shows up, it usually runs its course in 10 to 40 seconds and then it's gone. But yeah. if you repress it or declare war on it or use a word like I need to conquer this or overcome this, which is the wrong language, yes. then all of a sudden the host gets kinked, you're no longer in flow, and all your energy is just focused on trying to get rid of it versus letting it just run its course in 10 to 40 seconds. Yeah, I, you know, that that does, that makes a lot of sense and uh, uh, to people, and I've, I've never heard that with the, with the water hose. I, I may steal that from you and use that in some of my, uh, some of my future talks. Kristen, we've got about a uh, about a, a minute here. Uh, when we come back, I want you to talk. We're going to expand this talk on emotion uh, and talk about the other emotions and and uh, sort of how they fit into the big picture. Does that sound like something we can discuss? Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite subjects. Yeah, I thought it might be. You were listening to. Uh, well, now Leslie's telling me to stretch this out, so I, I keep talking a, a little bit. But uh, uh, the um, I have something to say. Go. I would say that if, when I have professional athletes come to me, and let's say they were the best in the world, and all of a sudden they're not doing very well anymore, it's the most boring job in the world. It's the same thing every time. It's usually because they're repressing their emotions. I would say if an athlete or anyone for that matter were to spend their time doing one thing, you know, one exploration, it should be uh, making friends with their emotions or uh, figuring out a way so that they can feel their emotions rather than repressing them. I totally agree. I, I just to tell you, add, add to that a little bit, um, not too long ago I was asked to speak to a, a young man who's a, a quarterback for a major college, uh, uh, and, and I agree 100% with you. He, he had been at the top of his game, and now he'd been struggling, and and uh, he even told me, he said, you know, I'm trying to trying to just control all these emotions and, and in a way that was not the good way. And uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, you're listening to Dale Stewart and Nature's Edge, my guest, Kristen Omer, and we will be back and talk about emotions a little bit following this message. Welcome back to Nature's Edge. 
This is Dale, and we are talking to Kristen Ulmer. Kristen is a uh, uh, extreme skier, I guess it would describe her, but uh, in, in her in her past life and and still skis, but now uh, now has turned her attention to uh, to teaching uh, teaching people how to deal with fear and emotions and mindset and all kind of good things. And Kristen, before we took a break, we were talking about fear, and and you brought up emotion, other emotions, and Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the other emotions uh, that impact us on a daily basis beyond just fear. Well, emotion experts argue that there are uh, primary emotions, much like there's primary colors. I mean, what do we have for primary colors? We have uh, yellow, red, and blue. And from those three colors, all of the color spectrum is created, like, you know, an infinite number of colors just from those three colors. So the human experience is birthed from, uh, some argue three, some argue five primary emotions. And these primary emotions, the three are fear, sadness, and joy. And then if you were to add two more, you know, anger, some argue that anger is nothing more than repressed fear, but I I go with anger as a primary emotion. And then our sexuality, our sexual feelings. So what we have is fear, anger, sadness, joy, and sexual and from those five primary emotions all of the human experience is created so it's you know they're pretty significant and if you repress any one of those then it comes out in kind of a covert weird way and so you know and and you can't selectively repress an emotion and not repress the others right so if you're repressing fear then you no longer fear feel as much joy and you know it's too bad because uh, fear, anger, and sadness in our society are deemed bad. You know, I put quotations around it. And so we're taught at a very young age to repress our emotions. Like, you know, I'm sad. Oh, don't be sad. Turn that smell upside down. And, you know, you hear that, and it's very well intended, but it sets uh, on course your life for repressing that emotion, sadness. Like, it's not okay to feel sadness. Or, yeah. like we've discussed with fear, it's like, there's nothing to be afraid of. From the first time your mom says that to you, it kind of messes you up, you know, because then you think that, oh, well, I'm not supposed to feel this. And same thing with anger. You know, when people come to me because they have an anger problem, I don't try to get them to have control over their emotions. I get them to see how ways in which they're repressing anger. And any voice that's repressed, all of a sudden it's delusion and it's, um, its problem side comes out rather than its wisdom. You know, anger, for example, example is the birthplace of passion and fire, you know, and it ignites change. And, you know, like there's some really wonderful things about anger, but if you're just repressing it, you know, then then uh, the only anger that you have is that hostile, raging, you know, attacking, you know, blaming um, anger that we're most familiar with. Yeah. So we as a society you know, really have some work to do. Yeah, anger really does provide some good things. And I, I think all the emotions do. Uh, but but as you stated, uh, you know, from a very early age, we were we were told uh, to suppress those. Or, or Do you think men and women deal with emotions differently? You're just personally? What do you think about that? I think that um, it, it's been... In, in our society more acceptable for women to feel their emotions but they have kind of a a challenge to the relationship with their emotions as well it's like 
they're criticized for being too emotional. So mm. then what happens? They repress their emotions. And of course, men aren't considered men if they're too emotional. I mean, just the, the amount of um, conflict that we have over these, these primary emotions that, you know, make up our whole of our human experience is, you know, if, if I had a if I had a dream that I could just snap my fingers and come true, I dreamed that we would teach emotional intelligence um, from a very early age and just allow people to grow up believing that emotions are fine, they're natural, and they're important. Yeah. They're definitely important for sports. They're definitely important for, um, you know, I don't want to just say they're important. A healthy relationship with them is important if you want to thrive as a human being. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and uh, you know, and, and we're always t- told, uh, you know, control your emotions, control this, control that, but people never tell you how to do that. You know, they, they just tell you, oh, you got to get that under control, and, and I'm like you. I think from an early age, if, if we were sort of taught those things, it would make a real difference, uh, you know, in, in how we perceive uh, the reality of the world out there even. I would say that uh, artists or musicians or singers or, you know, they are a really good example to look towards for having a healthy relationship with emotions. Like, you know, I was watching The Voice the other day and there's one guy that was very emotional and, and, you know, he's going to go far because of it. And so we get in the performance arts, like in uh, just creativity, that the emotions are important. Yeah. And I would say that it's the same thing in sports, but we don't, we don't discuss that. I would say that um, healthy relationship with your emotions can take you really, really far in sports. And, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have a healthy relationship with their emotions that have gone really far in sports. But I say, you know, look how far you've come in case in cement. Imagine if we broke up that cement, how far you would go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let me ask you, we're, we're uh, you know, we're talking about the emotions and everything else. Uh, we've got about three minutes here. Let's talk a little bit about motivation and, and mental prep, uh, preparation. What are your thoughts on those things as it relates to, you know, just life in general? Well, this is a good transition story that takes us from emotions to um, just great performance. But this actually happened. There was a woman concert pianist who was about to go out and perform to a sold-out audience, and her assistant received a phone call. And she just found out that the woman's mother had just died. And the assistant had a choice to make, you know, the woman's about to go out and perform. Does she tell her that her mother died before she goes out, or does she wait until after the performance? What do you think she did? Uh, Before? Leslie says before. Yeah. (laughs) Well, based on what we've been discussing, yeah, she told her before. And... The woman went out and performed. How well do you think she performed? I would, her mother just died. I would think she did great. Yeah. So you get that yeah. because you have a healthy relationship with your emotions. Yeah. Like we get that in um, the, the performance art, you know, that the emotions are more important than technique. They say that in ballet, for example, and singing, all of that. And this woman uh, played the most beautiful concert of her life. And nobody in the audience knew that her mother had died, but they were all tears streaming down their face. They just felt so much coming from this woman's piano. And uh, so we get that in, in uh, piano. You know, we get that in singing. We get that in ballet. But do we really get that in sports? And uh, so we're talking now about 
you know, we're shifting into discussing mental intelligence. You know, there's emotional intelligence, there's mental intelligence, there's spiritual intelligence. Right. Um, I mean, there's there's more to this art of sports than, of course, just the mental. But I feel like we've covered the emotional, but it's all tied together, of course. It is, yeah. Yeah. But I think that most people build a shrine to the mental intelligence and, and think that, oh, my gosh, my mind is so smart, it's, it's the solution all my problems, including on how to become a, a great athlete. But I really think that it's important to have, first and foremost, a healthy emotional intelligence in your performance before you even begin to start working on the mental. Absolutely. And that, that's something that uh, a lot of my, my listeners know. I give a lot of uh, talks on uh, adaptive leadership and leadership uh, in the corporate world. And that's one of the things I actually talk about in the corporate world that I think is just as important uh, as, as it is to athletes. Is is that uh, that very thing that you were just talking about? You're, this is Dale Stewart with I, I forgot who I was with uh, Nature's Edge, and we're <laughs> we're having a great discussion with uh, uh, Kristen, and uh, we are going to be back in just a minute. And Kristen, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the the spiritual side of things, ancient wisdom, and and uh, a little bit about some of the programs that that you offer. Uh, through your uh, through your training and we shall return in a few moments Welcome back. This is Dale Stewart, and you are listening to Nature's Edge. Kristen Ulmer is my guest today, and, and we have been talking about fear and emotions and, and everything else that you can imagine um, that, that are related to those things. And, and Kristen, one of the things I want to talk to you a little bit about, it's something that you and I share, and that's, that's sort of a, our belief in ancient wisdom and, and the spirituality of, of what we do and how we do it. Great subject. One of my favorites. Your own. You want to? You want to start? All right, I'll start. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I talked earlier about the zone. You know, what is the zone? Uh, the zone is kind of an expanded state of consciousness where you drop off mind, drop off body, um, and become part of the whole. I mean, the hippies call it nirvana. You yep. know, collective consciousness. Uh, the Buddhists call it enlightenment. Um, many religions call it God, you know, where you become uh, just a bigger version of yourself. Yes. And that's, you know, when I said dropped off mind and body, you know, that's where you're in a state of non-thinking, non-seeking, non-grasping, and that's the higher state of consciousness where you've transcended the mind. They say in Zen, the Dharma starts where the mind stops. So we all know, you know, we hear, oh, Sports are all mental. Actually, if done really well, they're zero mental. There is no thought. Or if there are thoughts, it's like very simple words like yes, now, aggressive, go. Um, so that type of intelligence is something that you can practice. That kind of intelligence, just like you can become really good at math, you know, or 
or skiing, you can become really good at accessing those states. Um, you know, how do you get to Carnegie, Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. How do you become good at anything? Practice, practice, practice. So um, that's why we call it spiritual practice. The more you practice it, the more it becomes part of who you are. And um, if you can get to a point, you know, we were talking before the break about mental preparation where um, you've kind of gone all the way with emotional intelligence, with mental intelligence, with physical intelligence, then the only thing left to explore now is the spiritual intelligence. Yeah. And and the uh, did you study this somewhere, Kristen? I mean, did you go off and spend some time uh, uh, with with some uh, some elders or or some people that uh, that that sort of helped uh, guide you in this in this quest, if you will? Yeah, my journey has been this. When I was a professional athlete, you know, I was the best in the world at my sport for 12 years. It was an incredible yeah. experience. If you had asked me, you know, what's the magic, I would have said I have no idea. Yeah. Um, it, I just knew that it was just working for me. And I've spent the last 12 years of my life studying what happened to me when I was a professional skier so that I can transmit it to my clients. So what I did is I found a teacher and his te- my teacher's name was Genpo Roshi and I studied with him for 12 years and he's a very famous Zen master and uh, so I didn't realize that what I was practicing back then was Zen and Zen is tied in with Buddhism but I don't uh, study Buddhism I don't consider myself a Buddhist I'm more into the whole American Zen you know Zen just being to become one with your life yeah I agree and so I was I was one with my emotions back then. I was one with my thoughts. Like, I didn't repress anything. I saw it all as wisdom. Um, and that's what, that was magic. And, you know, I don't believe you learn from experience. You learn from reflecting on the experience. I agree so with that. I've spent the last 12 years reflecting on the experience I had as a world class professional athlete. And that's what I teach now. Yeah, no, I, you just said something there that I totally agree and that I often say myself. And that, that, that is that you do not learn from experience; you learn from reflecting on experience, and and I really believe that. Yeah. I, I I truly do uh, do believe that. Yeah, I'm I'm like you. I never really sought out anyone to learn this from, but I I have spent a many a many a day sitting on, on a log somewhere deep in a rainforest with uh, with indigenous uh, uh, spiritual leaders and and have listened to what they had to say and and uh, it's given me a whole sort of new perspective on on life and how I uh, how I perceive reality on a, on a daily basis and uh, it 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 really is uh, something that 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 has helped change and has also helped me kind of morph if you will from that that wild adventure side of me to what I do today and who I am today you're really lucky that you have the opportunity to do that because so many people are just so caught up in um, trying to feed their families and working 60 hours a week and, you know, still trying to exercise a little bit here and there. It's like, it's so luxurious to be able to just reflect. And you asked uh, before the break about mental preparation. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, the best way you can mentally prepare for sports or for anything that matter for that matter is to become aware of your pattern. Yeah. You know, to become aware of how your mind works, like picture you're typing on a, a keyboard, you know, and you're not paying attention and you've been typing like this for an hour. 
and all of a sudden you look at the page and you realize you've been typing gibberish because your hands are just slightly off, you know, like like one letter sure. to the left or something. Sure. It's important to always check in and always adjust, you know, with your mind, like, okay, I seem to be a little off. You know, why is that? Yeah. Oh, I realize that I've been really upset about this thing and I haven't dealt with it. And then you deal with it and then you're, you've adjusted and now you're fine again. So that's the mental preparation. Oh, it is. And, and I, then, go ahead. No, I'm just, I was just going to say, I, I totally agree with that. It's, uh, uh, I, I constantly question and, and talk to myself when I'm, when I'm out there in the wild just for that reason, to be sure that I am dealing with reality and I'm not just off a little bit that might cause me some trouble. Right. And then, uh, you know, we're still talking about ancient wisdoms and spiritual intelligence, not to be confused with religious. Right. Um, but here's a, here's a great story that ties in the two. So a monk went to a master and he said, I want to achieve enlightenment. You know, I want to get to this higher state and I want to live there as much as possible. You know, if I work really hard, how long will it take me if I study with you? And the master said, 10 years. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a really long time. Well, how about if I work, you know, nights, weekends, overtime, I give it everything I've got, you know, then how long will it take me? And what do you think the master replied? What do you say? 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I somehow knew that was coming. Uh, yeah. 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 That's, that's, Kristen, we got about two minutes left. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Ski to Live? Well, Ski to Live is, because I'm, I have a background as a skier, is a camp that I started that's mindset only. I'm kind of the poster child for it all being mental. I never had a coach. Um, I never had any formal training except for a couple of ski lessons in second grade. And I went all the way with the sport. I was the best in the world as a big mountain extreme skier, and I also made it on the U.S. ski team as a mobile specialist. Yep. And so I'm the poster child for it's all mental. So it's totally natural that I started a mindset only ski camp, no technical tips. And it's a great camp for somebody who really believes that sports are all mental or that skiing's all mental. And I have people coming from all over the world, um, some of the most fascinating people I've ever met. The camps are called Ski to Live. And you can read about them on my website, kristenolmer.com. And they're really fun, and they're really powerful, and it'll affect not only the way you approach skiing, but the way you approach pretty much your whole life. And it and it lasts. Kristen, it has been a pure pleasure to have you on the on Nature's Edge with us today, and uh, hope you'll come back and and join us in the future. Uh, we are getting very near the end of the uh, end of the show, and. This is Dale Stewart and, and Nature's Edge. And do I need to keep talking a little while, uh, Leslie? And, and Leslie, well, can I, can yeah. I, can I do another shameless plug? Jump in there. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I also work with individuals in groups of under 50 people. Um, I do a lot of phone consultations with people. My specialty is fear, of course, and anxiety. And um, I am available right now for more clients. I, I'm usually pretty booked up, but um, every once in a while I'll open those doors again, and those doors are open right now. I, that's, uh, that's great to know. And, and give us one more time, Kristen, your, uh, your web address. <laughs> KristenOlmer.com. It's spelled K-R-I-S-T-E-N-U-L-M-E-R.com. Kristen, thank you so much. And this is Dale Stewart, and I will see you on the edge. Thanks, Dale.